Okay, so we're going to start this series in the Song of Songs. Hopefully you're able to read it through yourself at home. And if you can, bring a Bible along the next few weeks. It's always good to bring a Bible to church, I think. Um, so we're going to look at these first two chapters. Um, Sigmund Freud, uh, actually it was his, I don't know how, it was his birthday last week. I don't know how long ago he was born. But Sigmund Freud famous, of course, he shocked uh, Victorian society by declaring that sex is the preoccupation of all human beings. Sex is the preoccupation of all human beings. His analysis of human behavior led him to the conclusion that all of life is, is permeated with a craving for sexual gratification. And guess what? He wasn't wrong. We are sexual beings. That's the way God has made us. Uh, male and female, he created us, it says in Genesis chapter 1. So it, it would be very surprising, don't you think, in a book which is meant to make us complete, in a book that is uh, meant and has been given to us by God for training us in righteousness and equipping us for every good work. It would be very strange if there was nothing in that book about sex. But there is. And it's here in the Song of Solomon. Now, I want to say straight away, by, by way of introduction, um, it's, this is a song, okay? It's not a sex manual. Uh, this is not the Christian version of the Kama Sutra. There have been some preachers, I think Mark Driscoll was probably guilty of this a little bit, who treated it a bit like the Kama Sutra. Uh, this is not anything of the sort. I hope that doesn't disappoint you. The Song of Songs. Solomon was a prolific songwriter. According to 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32, he wrote 1,005 songs. And this is the song of songs. This is his, bet. This is his platinum, platinum disc. Uh, this is the finest song of all, it says in verse 1. And of course, it's about a couple who are in love, because all the best songs are love songs, aren't they? Now, everybody's heard about uh, couples in love. Uh, you can think of Romeo and Juliet, or uh, Antony and Cleopatra, or Cinderella and Prince Charming, or anybody in your circle of friends. You could put some names there, I'm sure. This is the biblical equivalent. Of, this is a couple in love. This is the biblical equivalent. And the couple are actually named in the song. And... We'll see, it in, for example, in verse 13 of chapter, really the, sh the, 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 uh, the, the story about Solomon and she's called the Shulamite in verse 13 of chapter 6. That may be the place that she comes from, or it's more likely, some commentators say, that is the feminine version of Solomon. It comes from Shalom, the root is Shalom, peace. So you've got Solomon and the Shulamite. That's, this is the couple that are in love here. Uh, we might say, you know, because we're Australians, we might say uh, Solomon and Shazza. Uh, <laughs> and this, this song celebrates the relationship of Solomon and Shazza, okay? That's what we're going it's, it's It's a poem. In fact, it's a collection of poems, uh, all about sexual intimacy in the context of, of marriage. There was no other uh, context in, the, in ancient Israel for sexual intimacy but marriage. So this song celebrates that relationship, but there's a problem, and some of you are probably already thinking about this. Uh, there's, there's a problem in that, isn't there? Because it, and what is, when you think about it, 
See, you may know that there are two things that Solomon is famous for, more than two things, but not only was he a prolific songwriter, but he's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived. We talk about the wisdom of Solomon, don't we? And that's the problem, because 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us that this wise man, the wisest man who ever lived, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, that's a bit of a problem. That's an awful lot of sex. And it falls spectacularly short of God's ideal of one woman, one man for life, doesn't it? So do you see what the problem is? Now, some people have tried to get around that problem. Uh, this country girl and her shepherd lover, and then Solomon is the kind of the big baddie who tries to get into that relationship and break it up. Um, I'm not convinced of that. Uh, there are lots of commentaries written from that angle, but I'm not convinced that that is the case. I think the couple in love here, uh, there are two people. It's Solomon and the Shulamite. And this poem celebrates um, this couple who are in love. It's celebrating sex as God intended it to be. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you have a problem either way with Solomon. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure. You can ask me in question time what I think about Solomon if you want to. Uh, I think probably he's an old man now, and he's looking back at all the mistakes that he made, and there were a lot of them. And uh, this is wisdom literature, and he's, he's telling us, really, this is the ideal. Uh, this is a song about a couple in love, and not just any couple, as I hope you'll see as, as we look at this together. There are many allusions here in, in, the, song, in the Song of Solomon to the Garden of Eden. Uh, so this, this song looks back to Adam and Eve. There should be another PowerPoint coming up. Um, before the fall, in Genesis chapter 2, where we're told they were naked and not ashamed. So the song, there's, there's a lot of, they talk about pomegranates and also there's a lot of garden imagery in the Song of Solomon. And it's, it's pointing us back to the Garden of Eden and to that relationship there in Genesis chapter 2 of Adam and Eve when they were naked and not ashamed. But it also looks forward to Christ and the church in the New Testament. Another PowerPoint, I think. Um, Paul, you remember Paul says in Ephesians, he talks, he's talking about marriage, and he's talking particularly in chapter 5 about uh, sexual intercourse in the context. I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> he's talking about a couple having sex in their marriage, and he says, this is a profound mystery. It's about Christ and the church. So uh, as we go through this song, we're, we're going to be looking in both directions as we read this book together. We're going to look back to the way God created us in the beginning, and we're going to look forward to the new creation in Christ. And those are the keys then that are going to help us to unlock this book. Okay? And you'll notice, as, as we've read tonight, in, in most Bible translations, that the text is, is very helpfully split up between the main players, Solomon, the Shulamite, or the beloved and the lover, and, and the friends who are the daughters of Jerusalem. And, and you can tell who's speaking most, mostly by the, by the gender of the Hebrew pronouns. And that's the way it works. Uh, and that's how we're going to navigate our way through these chapters. Okay, so that's enough by way of introductions. We're going to start tonight in chapters 1 and 2 with this couple in love. And it's ladies first, you notice, in verse 2. Uh, she's certainly not backward in coming forward, is she? Look at verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, she says. Now, in the, in the Hebrew, the word for kiss is onomatopoeic. You know what onomatopoeic means? It, it means it's a, it, it sounds like what it describes, Okay. Now, I wish my Hebrew was good enough for me to demonstrate that to you, but it's not. I've forgotten more Hebrew than I ever learnt. But you can take my word for it. 
she isn't asking his mouth. She says, for your love is more delightful than wine. She's intoxicated with him. Uh, verse 2. And look at verse 4. This is a really um, quite uh, interesting, isn't it? Verse 4. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now, you, she wants, she basically wants him to take her to his bedroom. Uh, she doesn't want to look at his etchings either when she gets there. She wants, she wants to have sexual intercourse with him. That's what this means. It, it, it's the old picture, if you like, of the groom lifting his bride over the threshold into their new home and kicking the door shut behind them. She's longing for that day. She's anticipating that day. Okay? So the first thing I'm saying by way of application here is this. this there's real chemistry here, don't you see? There's a strong physical attraction between these two, and, and that's healthy. Sometimes I, I remember when I was a minister in London, I remember, I remember somebody coming to me and saying, you know, um, we, 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 you know, in those days, that's when they all started to have shared houses, you know, and all the students used to share the same house. And I can remember a couple coming to me, and they, they were obviously coming into a relationship and said, well, we, we live under the same roof. You know. In fact, we actually share a bed, <laughs> but we don't have sex. We're keeping ourselves until... I can, remember, I, can th I can remember thinking to myself, well, I actually didn't think to myself, I said it out loud to them. If you're, not having, if you're living in, under the same roof and sleeping in the same bed and you're not tempted to have sex, I think you better, better think again about getting married. Because there's, some, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with, with sexual attraction, with, with physical attraction. Um, there's more to marriage than sex, as we're going to see, but, but a marriage without sex is scarcely a marriage at all. God has made us with sexual appetites and desires. And the desire for physical intimacy with someone of the opposite sex is, is, is healthy. It's not wrong. It's not sinful. Provided it finds expression in the right way at the right time. And that's one of the main themes of this song, as you'll see as we go through it. It's stated three times in, in verse 7 of chapter 2, in verse 5 of chapter 3, and in verse 4 of chapter 8. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Somebody has said that, um, that Proverbs is the book for boys about sex. Forty times in the book of Proverbs, uh, you find that... Uh, Solomon, who wrote Proverbs as well, Solomon addresses the boys. My son, he says, my son, my son, my son. And there's some very strong advice given in the book of Proverbs to boys about sex and about sexual tempt temptation. But the Song of Solomon is, is, is really a book for girls. It's addressed to the daughters of Jerusalem. This is a book uh, for girls about sex. And um, she, she charges her, her friends there. Young women of Jerusalem, she says, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. So, if you're looking for a marriage partner, uh, it's right to ask the question, am I physically attracted to that person? Is there sexual chemistry there? But raw sex appeal, of course, is not enough. There has to be more than that, and there is. If you look at verse 3, look what she says there. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. She's, she's not talking about his aftershave there. She's talking about his character. 
See, so you, you don't forget, you see, they, they didn't have water, they didn't have showers. Uh, standards of personal hygiene couldn't have been very high in those days, so they would use oils and perfumes to freshen up. A bit like those wet wipes they give you on the plane. And, and their relationship was like that, you see. She says it's like perfume released. A lovely description of a healthy relationship. Getting to know him was, for her, a refreshing experience. Do you see that? When she, go, when she went out with him, she, she didn't feel dirty or disturbed. She didn't feel guilty or confused. She felt clean and refreshed. Now, that's a good test of a relationship, isn't it? How do you decide whether to enter into a relationship? Looks? Personality, prestige, well, Solomon had all of that. But what attracted her to him was his name, not his designer jeans, his character, his reputation. Your name is like eau de cologne, she says. It's fragrant, it's refreshing. See, looks fade, fashions change. It's character that counts. And, and, that isn't, and that isn't just how she sees him. Because, you know, we know that love can be blind. We know that. But others say the same about him. Look at verse 3. Her friends approve of this. She said, no wonder the girls love you, she says, verse 3. How right they are. See, that's another very helpful principle, I think, isn't it? When you, what do your friends think about this relationship? Do they approve of it? Her friends, the, the daughters of Jerusalem, they, they keep, as we'll see, they keep coming into this song like a chorus line, don't they? Uh, you'll notice that as we go through. And, they, and then they, they're there not to play gooseberry, but to give advice. They act as a kind of sounding board for her in this relationship. And I want to say to you, it's good to have friends like that. It's good to be in a church community where you have brothers and sisters in Christ who, can sound, who, who you can sound out about these sort of things. She wants to know what they think. She wants to know if they approve of this relationship. Listen, she's not so infatuated with this man that she's deaf to what everyone else is saying about him. If, if you're the only person in the world to see his good points, that should sound an alarm bell, don't you think? So, so listen to your friends. Take advice from those around you. So they're off to a good start. Their relationship is really only just beginning here in these verses. And what follows now is, is a series of snapshots, verbal snapshots. It's like a kind of photographic, photograph album, if you like. Um, if, if you, if, you know, I know, I know they're all in the cloud, aren't they, our photographs, our photos? You have to download them from the cloud. But I've got a, I mean, if you came to my house and I opened the photograph album, you'd see photographs which would trace my relationship with my wife, Ruth. You'd see me there in short trousers. We didn't know each other then. <laughs> You'll see me um, perhaps in a school photograph. Might even see me, you might even see me on the sports field. That'd be a very rare photo. <laughs> and then you'd see me at university, and I'd be there with all my friends, and we'd be at a, a Christian uh, conference, and all our friends would be there. And, and then you see this, in, in that group photograph, there's, there's a face that appears. But then as you go through the photograph album, that face becomes more prominent. And then, you know, it's not just the, 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 the crowd scene anymore, but it's, it's me and her together. And then there's loads of pictures of her on her own. And, of course, then there's the wedding photo. 
and then the babies, and the rest is history. You see, you can trace a relationship by going through a photograph album, can't you? Uh, so let's do that. Let's, let's, let's flick through the photo album. Let's download, download all their photos from the cloud, and let's see what we can learn about this couple in love. And I'm just going to pick out four snapshots for you uh, tonight. So snapshot one, it, it, well, it's a photograph of her in verses five to seven. So he's holding the camera and she's in the frame here. And she looks a little self-conscious, doesn't she? She's insecure. Listen to what she says. Daughters of Jerusalem, she says, I'm dark like the tents of Kedah. You're yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, for the sun has gazed on me. She's a country girl. She's had to work out in the fields. And it hasn't done wonders for her complexion. She's had to neglect her personal appearance. She probably feels a bit challenged by these pale-skinned city girls that she sees in the glossy magazines, the daughters of Jerusalem. How can Solomon possibly fall for me when he's surrounded by this bevy of beauties? See, nowadays, of course, um, it's the opposite, isn't it? You, uh, the sign of beauty is to go under the uh, sun lamp and get a tan. <laughs> but in that culture at that time, uh, to be pale was, was the, the standard of beauty. And, and she feels threatened. She's, she's vulnerable. And not only that, she, look what she says, my, my mother's sons, that's, that's, that's her stepbrothers. This is a real Cinderella story, really, when you think about it, except instead of the ugly sisters, she's got the cruel stepbrothers. My mother's sons were angry with me. They, they made me a keeper of the vineyards. I've not kept my own vineyard. She, she's had a tough life. See, this, this, is a, uh, this is a love song, but it's set in the real world. She comes from a dysfunctional family, it seems. Brothers are meant to protect their sisters. Her brothers have given her a hard time. They put her out to work in the fields. It seems, you know, reading between the lines, she hasn't been particularly well treated by men in her past. And, and she's, she's vulnerable and, and looking for reassurance. So look what Solomon says there in verse 9. How does he seek to reassure her? How does he seek to build up her confidence and bolster her self-esteem? Well, look at verse 9. I compare you, my darling, to a mare. That's really romantic, isn't it? That's really going to do wonders for his self-esteem, don't you think? You've got a face like a horse, my dear, he says. <laughs> well, actually, that's quite a compliment coming from a man. You see, you see Solomon, Solomon was, was mad keen on horses. He was the one who introduced, introduced horses into Israel. They were the most beautiful of animals as far as he was concerned. Maybe the, the equivalent today might be a BMW or a Porsche. <laughs> in, in other words, you know, what he's saying in his clumsy, masculine way is this. You have pride of place in my heart. How good is that? See, here she is, feeling awkward and out of place and insecure in Solomon's palace. She's only a working girl from the country. She hasn't got the money to spend on jewelry and clothes and facials and beauty treatments. She feels inferior. She's a working-class girl. It shows, uh, and she's unsure of her place in his affections, but she needn't have worried. I compare you, my darling, he says, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot, not just any old mare, but a mare in Pharaoh's chariot. Only the very best were chosen for Pharaoh's chariot. See what he's saying in his clumsy, masculine way? You're beautiful to me, and we're going to make you even more beautiful. You see what he says? Your cheeks are beautiful 
with jewelry, your neck with its necklace will make gold jewelry for you, accented with silver. Do you see what he's doing? He's building her up. He's reassuring her of his love. He's telling her that she has pride of place in his heart. You are the only one for me, he's saying to her. Your wife, if you're married, your wife is the standard of beauty. That's what he... That's the application here. He does the same just over in chapter 2, you know, as, as chap, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Look, she says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a, a lily of the valleys, she says. I, I'm like a, a common countryside wildflower, a, a lily of the valley. Yes, I'm pretty. Pretty common. Nothing special about me. And what does he say? Well, look at verse 2. Line up all the ladies, he says. Let's take a look at them, shall we? Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. They look like brambles compared to you, he says. You're the best looking. You're the only one worth looking at. Do you see? Do you see what he's doing? He, words have power, don't they? Words can build up or break down. Words can heal or hurt. Words can cure or kill. He builds her up with his words. How to handle a woman. Remember that old song? <laughs> Solomon knows how to handle a woman. Most of us men don't have a clue, do we? Really, you know. How to handle a woman. There's a way, said the wise old man, and Solomon is that wise old man. Pay her compliments. Write her poetry. <laughs> poetry? Most of us blokes would rather watch the footy than re read poetry. I think, wouldn't we? Um, we'd rather mend the backyard fence and sit down and have a deep and meaningful with our significant other, wouldn't we? How to handle a woman? Solomon, he's very experienced, of course. But he says, there's a, there's a way, says the wise old man, listen to me. Build her up with your words. Compliment her. Show her she's special. Buy her jewelry, not kitchen utensils for her birthday. <laughs> now look at verse 12. This is the second snapshot. And there's a change of scene, which will come out on the screen any minute now. There we are. There's a change of scene in verse 12. Do you see that? The king is at his table, it says. Now this is probably some kind of official banquet at the palace. Uh, and the room is full of foreign dignitaries and ambassadors and court officials. But she's got eyes only for him. And she gazes lovingly and longingly at him across a crowded room. And this is what she says. This is what she's thinking to herself. Verses 12 to 14. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. Now En Gedi was an oasis in the desert. Everything around for miles is barren and desolate. That's probably what she thinks of this dinner party. She's bored stiff and cheesed off with a small talk around the table. Imagine a, a country girl, you know, stuck between some pompous foreign minister and his wife. And as she sits there listening to the, uh, the guest speaker droning on, her thoughts cross the room to Solomon. And instantly she's refreshed. He's like Engedi, an oasis of refreshment in a desert of monotony, a, a splash of color in a gray world. Do you see? So, so in public and in private, this couple delight in each other. 
in the city or the country, in the palace or out in the fields. They're head over heels in love with each other, full of the joys of spring. And that's the third snapshot. If you look at verses 11 to 13, it's springtime. The winter is past, the rain has ended and gone away. The blossoms appear in the countryside. The time of singing has come and the turtle dove's cooing is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The blossoming vines give off their fragrance. Spring is in the air. And as uh, Tennyson says, in the spring, a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love. Does anyone remember that, uh, that pizza ad that used to be on TV? Probably it's long gone by now, but it's sort of stuck in my mind. Ain't no mountain high enough. Do you remember that one? Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep us from you. That's Pizza Hut. And it's not true, because we live on Mount Nelson, and we could never get them to deliver to us. Okay? <laughs> but look at verses 8 to 10. She's holding the camera now, you see, and she's taking a video. This is a video. Listen, she says, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, he's standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My love calls to me. Do you get the picture? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep him from her. He's like Superman, faster than a moving train, leaping over tall buildings to get to her, pounding on the door, peeping through the windows, calling out to her. I think you get the idea, don't you? Like a gazelle. He's like a gazelle or a young stag, she says. This is so playful. This is so natural. This is so in tune with nature. This is sex as God intended it to be. But you notice there's a warning. We come to snapshot number four. So what do you call this the engagement photo? Look at verses four to seven of chapter two. See, they're an item now, aren't they? They've gone public. Today, what you'd probably do, you might book a table at some posh restaurant and put a notice in the personal columns of the Mercury. It's official. See what she says? He's brought me to the banqueting house. Well, he's rich enough, he can afford it. And his banner over me is love. See, today he might actually hire a plane and get someone to write it in the sky. You know, Solomon loves Shazza. His banner over me is love. They, they want people to know that they're together, that they're an item. Sooner or later, because every couple has to go public. But look what she says to her friends there in verse 7 again. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. This is so against the culture of our day, isn't it? There's a strong warning here, which gets repeated three times in this book, which we really need to hear in this sex-crazed world of ours. Now, I, I actually, I believe in short engagements. Uh, I'm not the Pope, I'm not speaking ex-cathedra, and I don't have, uh, I'm not infallible, so... Uh, you don't necessarily have to take my advice here, but I, I, I believe in, in, in shorter engagements for this very reason, because once you go public, once you decide to get married and you're committed to one another, the whole relationship then shifts up a gear. And the desire for one another intensifies to the point that it's really hard to control. G.K. Chesterton said, all healthy people, ancient and modern, eastern and western, know that there is a certain fury in sex. 
that we cannot afford to inflame, and that a certain mystery and awe must ever surround it if we're to stay sane. That's what she's saying here. That's what the Bible says to you. That's what the Word of God is saying. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. It's like uh, petrol. You know, petrol in a car serves its function. It powers the engine. It makes the car go. But put it in a cup and sniff it and you'll get high. And you'll feel good, but it'll damage your brain. Pour it on the ground and throw a match at it and it will destroy you and everything else around you, won't it? And sex is like that. It's, it's a good gift from God. But taken out of, of context, out of its God-given context, which is marriage, it becomes a destructive thing. Sheldon Vanakin, in his books, A Severe Mercy, writes the story of his life together with his uh, wife, who he lost to cancer at a young age. And he says this about the beginnings of their relationship. He says, we raised the shining barrier, the shining barrier. We raised the shining barrier against a world of indecencies and decaying standards, the decline of courtesy, the whispering mockers of love. We would have our own standards, and above all, we would be us-centered, not self-centered. Now, that's what she's doing here. That's, that's why this book is in our Bibles. That, that's why I want to preach it to you over these next four weeks, to raise that shining barrier. I charge you not to stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. See, on the one hand, this, it, this is a song about sex, but it's not casual. Sexual intimacy. On the other hand, it says, uh, and I know this is painful for some of you, on the other hand, it says, not, not yet, and not you, and that's painful. And I don't want to minimize the pain of that or trivialize the problem there. Uh, see, there's no other acceptable lifestyle in ancient Israel in which sexual intimacy can be expressed than marriage. It, this, this song describes that. It describes a sexually charged relationship anticipating marriage. It, it, uh, we're going to get more into the song in the next few weeks, but it, it's, I want to tell you this. It's neither prudish. The Bible isn't prudish about sex. Neither is it pornographic. It's erotic. This song is erotic. Uh, I, I'd probably not be brave enough to go into some of the details. And I leave that to your imagination. I hope you, you haven't got too much of an imagination. It's, it's erotic, but it's not raunchy. It's suggestive, but it's not explicit. Well, Solomon wants us to know that it's possible to find real love in a world like ours.